everybody. Welcome to Read This, Read That. I am Jackie Reed. I'm Joanne Reed. How you doing, cousin? Well, I'm good, cousin. I'm fine and dandy. How you doing? I'm doing <laughs> all right. Listen, we changed our rundown a little bit, um, unbeknownst to you. <laughs> okay. But we made, a, we made a slight change, but I am sure you will be in agreement of it. We decided... And we can talk a little bit more about this when we do our wind down, because um, there's just so much negativity. And I feel like Black people particularly are dealing with so much stress and pain and anxiety and so on and so, so forth when it comes to our mental health and wellness. Yeah. So we decided to start each show off with a little moment of joy in honor of your name. Oh. Just a little moment of joy, just a little story, just a little something, just a little nugget. I love that. No, I do love that. And you're, you're, you're right. Cause we need it. Cause it is so, I've been talking to you. I talk, I've spoken to you about it. I've spoken to other folks about it. It is very a dark period, yeah, you know, it is. in our history. And it's very hard to deal with it, especially when we're in the business of talking about it all day. I know my heart goes out to you. So let, we're going to talk about that in a minute, yes. but let me give you, let me give you your first yes. moment of joy here on read this, read that. So this is about these, it's a, I'm going to give you the quick and dirty of this story. It's these two brothers in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. You probably heard about this called, they have a bow tie business called This Bow Tie Boutique. And the boys are six and nine years old. Oh, It's the cutest thing. And they have made over 30,000 bow ties since they oh. started in 2017. The, nine, the now nine-year-old went to his parents when he was five and was like, I like the fact that my daddy wears bow ties. I want to sell bow ties, girl. And here's, here's the, they are the cutest little black boys you will ever see. You just want to just hug them. They're so cute. But their proceeds, a portion of their proceeds goes to the Atlanta Mission, a nonprofit organization that assists with homeless and displaced oh. individuals. Oh, girl. Sweet heart. <laughs> so that is wonderful. Yeah. I love it. So I love a little on entrepreneurial little kid. It's just so cute. <laughs> I know. It's so little at five. He's I like, know. I want to do it. And, and made room for his baby brother when the time came. Oh. And the two of them make the designs and everything. They are so adorable. And what's the name of the company? Because I might have to buy some bow ties for you. You will have to. And we're going to post it for those who want to know more about it on our social media. Yeah. Um, yeah. I say that out. Nina has no idea. Nina, post this for us, honey. She's like, okay. <laughs> but it is called This Bowtie Boutique. I love it. That is the name of it. That is the name of it. We're going to post it on our social. That's they wonderful. are the sweetest kids. When you see their faces, girl, you your heart will melt. They got the cutest little smile. So cute. I love that. And you know, by the way, if we were going to do another moment of joy, we're going to add one. Did what? you see the memes? About the little girl, little, little, little girl on the um on a rocking horse. Yeah, <laughs> I saw your post <laughs> when her mother was talking about blindness in a child yeah. and how to detect that. And really, she was just giving some parenting advice. And her child was like, "I will not be upstaged." No, she was like, blind. "I'm riding for freedom." That baby was in the back <laughs> riding for freedom. People were saying everything from like she was chasing Harriet Tubman. <laughs> They said that she was riding to Helms Deep, that she was going after the Ice King. It was so funny. I mean, the, the black Twitter is genius. This little, little, little white girl. girl. And the girl, when I tell you that girl was riding, she wasn't paying no attention to her mama telling her story. She was like, yeah. I oh. got this. I'm about to ride. She thought she was she moving. She didn't get her mother I'm pretty sure She thought she was going somewhere. Oh, girl. It was it was a beautiful thing. It was so cute. And yes, somebody, black Twitter is undefeated. Undefeated. Somebody, somebody tweeted. She may be blind, but she could see the finish line. <laughs> see the finish line. It somebody was needs, somebody needs to do an award show of the week of the highlights from Black Twitter. We must. Wouldn't you <laughs> lean in for that? Damn, you know, we, we can so do creative. that here on our show. It, it's so creative that comedians steal from Black Twitter. Ooh. Like comedy writers lift stuff off yes. Black Twitter yes. and put it in their stuff because it's so smart. The people on there are just unpaid geniuses. And that's the one thing we do have to talk about long-term because as black people, we are providing the entertainment on these shows. Hello Clubhouse. Hello Clubhouse. Hello Clubhouse providing all the content is coming from the geniuses of black people and they're not getting paid. So you see this one brother, he's out here trying to patent um, the dances. (laughs) 
he said he's going to get them copyrighted. He's going to copyright the dances because he, and I think he should. I do too. They, 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 After that debacle on Jimmy Fallon's show. Ma'am. But that wasn't your worst. Yeah. Copyright your work because these people, we literally, Black Twitter is what makes Twitter fun. Like the news part of it, I use it to aggregate news. But Black Twitter is truly the most entertaining thing about well, Twitter. Well, listen, you know, the same thing happened over on Clubhouse, not in an entertaining kind of way, but maybe so, where Clubhouse was out, you know, like last fall, if not sooner, and nobody was checking for it. And so the creators of Clubhouse went to people like Kevin Hart, Tiffany Haddish, and other Black celebrities to come on board. Because when I, I know when I first started hearing about Clubhouse, I was hearing that Kevin Hart was one of the owners. He is not, not, but he was one of the ones that they went yes. to to bring his friends and to make it um, interesting. I'm sure that they got paid for that, but now that company is worth and so much money, black, and no one who's 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 one of the creators is nobody. black. But black people are some of the main people on it. Like we came in and made it very popular, made it fun, and now it is what it is. That's right. Twitter too. Twitter. Black people over-index on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. So we're going and TikTok. and TikTok and TikTok and TikTok. I mean, and we in there making these things hot and not making near money off of it. Nobody. But I wish we could. I wish someone would create. I wish we could create our own social media platforms. I wish that there was ownership. And it's, it's, it's like the sports leagues, right? Yeah. It's like the professional sports yeah. league. You know, yeah. Black people make the it, NFL. Black people well, make honey, the NBA, that's right? Why. But the owner, when it comes to ownership, nothing. And that's where the big money oh, 100%. is. 100%. The NBA was nothing until the Harlem Globetrotters used to open for the all-white NBA teams that was segregated. And people really only showed up to the games because the Harlem Globetrotters were much more interesting than the game that followed. Later, they started bringing Black people in because all those trick shots, three-pointers, all of the things that make basketball basketball, Black players on the Harlem Globetrotters were the ones who did all of that. There was nobody doing showmanship in the NBA until the Black people finally got integrated. Same with baseball. Girl, I was in a whole meme about what is Babe Ruth Black what? this weekend. That If you want to get into a meme, get into is this Babe meme, Ruth girl. Black? You're going to break this down. When, what? I, when I tell you Babe Ruth, when he was playing, Ty Cobb would not share a bunk with him because he called him an N-word, and he mean with a hard E-R. He used to be called Monkey Man. They used to call him an ape. If you look at Babe Ruth, it's like a whole conspiracy theory that Babe Ruth might have been passing. Babe Ruth was one of the most aggressive players about integration. What? He never became a manager because everyone knew if he became a manager, he would have integrated baseball. And so they wouldn't let him be a manager. He used to hang out in the club club. He was in Harlem hanging out at the Cotton Club and all these clubs. He would bring black celebrities with him to the dugout and have them in the dugout. He was one of the most pro-black players. Oh, I There's did this, not know this. It started off, the whole thing started off this weekend with um, a video that was circulating on Twitter of Babe Ruth and all these little white kids are surrounding him. And there's one black kid, it looked like our gang. And he says, all right, guys, who wants to pitch to me? They all raise their hands. The black boy goes, I'm the pitcher. The black boy, this is in 1940 or something. The black boy goes, I'm the pitcher. First, I'm thinking, are they going to hurt that little black boy? But then the little black boy, he says, okay. He gives him the ball. He goes back and the little black boy pitches to him. And then all the little white boys run out to catch the ball. And I'm thinking to myself, wow, in 1940, that's very progressive. But then you go through, there's pictures of him posing with all these black fans, you know, messaging to black fans, talking about how, you know, he was so pro-black. And so people, and, and he had this broad nose and the way he looked, even though his nickname was El Bambino, and then, baby, I'm going to show you a picture of his daddy. We're going to put, put a picture of this on the, on the, on the read this, read that Instagram. You, when you see a picture of his mommy and daddy, you're going to be like, oh. wait, I'm getting ready to Google this. <laughs> it would be the greatest, um, you know, it would be, it, it would be, it would be the biggest story to me in the history of sports if Babe Ruth turned out to be black, but it's but Apparently this is not a new question back in the 1940s people were questioning whether he was black or whether he was quote unquote colored. Really? Because again, Ty Cobb, who's one of the most racist baseball players in the history of the sport, literally would not share a room with the great Babe Ruth. Cause he said, I grew up all my life, never sharing a bed, a room with an N word. And I'm not going to start now. Girl, he don't look black right. to me. Mm -hmm. He looks like he's, he might be Italian. 
Um, that, that was the assumption. But when but I, his parents are both like, reportedly of German descent. So they say. I'm gonna send you okay. I'm gonna send you a picture right now. Send I'm, me a I'm picture. I want to see this. I'm gonna send I'm it to you right at, now. I'm looking at Mark Thompson, looking. our friend Mark Thompson, and I got into a whole reverie on this. A whole, whole, whole entire like really wormhole. I was in a wormhole until like midnight talking about this over the oh weekend. Oh my god. Look. Oh, this I gotta look see. Look at the look at look, you look, just look. I'm showing me. okay, wait. I just did. And I don't know if I can put it in the chat. I don't know how to do it, but I'm going to hold this up to the camera. See if you guys can see well, we can, for those who are looking. Look at the daddy. Look at him. Come on now. Girl, he looks like my granddaddy. This is what I'm saying. I'm going to say a close up. Let me show you a close up of the daddy. Who Those of you who are looking on here, I'm going to send you a close up of the of the dad again. And let me see now, you, now, listen, I don't have now the mom don't look black to me. The mom does not. No, absolutely not. But I'm just saying there was a question during this era mm -hmm. when he was playing. That was a, 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 a thing that went around about him. It's just it was a fascinating me. Just this is an interesting me. But anywho, girl, do your wind down. Wow. What's been going on with you? That's <laughs> I've got you in the wormhole. No, I do want to know. I do want to know more about that. That's interesting. Um, so my wind down, and I am drinking uh, a, a sparkling non-alcoholic uh, brut from St. Regis, which is really delicious. De-alcoholized is what they call it. <laughs> it's delicious. Um, you know, my wind down is, girl, let me tell you. Without giving away too much detail, um, a friend of mine, a woman that I know, was um, taken to a mental facility, mental health facility this week. Wow. After um, she, she, you know, she had been kind of displaying concerning, um, um, you know, activity on social media and things like that, you know, the things that she was posting and the more and more I saw it, um, the more concerned I got. And I called around and talked to some people who were saying it was a mental health issue because she was saying people are trying to kill me. I'm, okay. I'm, I'm, my life is in danger um, and I'm being followed. Someone's trying to poison me, like all, all kinds of things. And towards those last days, she was going from hotel room to hotel room to hotel room to hotel room. And, you know, in some cases she would be in a hotel room and she would call the police or call the fire department to come. And cause someone she thought was trying to seep carbon monoxide in, into her room. And it just, it was like, and when I tell you this woman is brilliant, Joanne, like brilliant, um, you know, left a top company, you know, to start her own um, business. And that became a very successful business. Um, and I, you know, I, 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 it was heartbreaking to see, but finally a family member of hers, cause her family couldn't find her because she was moving around so much. They, um, and she broadcast all of this live on her um, Instagram. Wow. And when her uh, a relative showed up with social services uh, a, a social worker, um, EMT, and police outside of her hotel room. And I'm telling you, I, I, it wasn't like I was watching because I was just, you know, just leaning in. I was, uh, I was so afraid that it would, it could take a turn. I was just going right? to say, it, it all sounded like good help until you said the word police. Well, that's the thing. And we know what happens, particularly in our community, when police are called to the scene of a situation that involves Correct. mental health, right? That patient or the person that's in need of help usually ends up hurt, if not dead. Correct. And so that I, I'm telling you, my, and I just wanted to be a witness to whatever went down. Uh, fortunately, they were able to convince her to, um, you know, go to the ambulance because at first she refused. She refused to yeah. leave. Um, but she went to the ambulance and then she went to, they took her to a facility and then, um, you know, the, then she got off the live, but I tell you it just, just because I know her so well, and I have been having so many conversations, um, with friends of mine 
who are upping their depression medication, who are going to counseling more than, you know, therapy more than once a week, who because of, you know, the combination of the pandemic and the isolation that comes with it, even at this stage of it, of, you know, what's in the news night after night when it comes to black and brown people and police um, and the disregard for black lives or, you know, systemic racism and things like that. It just seems like, um, just an impossible hill to climb, right? To, that, that in our lifetime, we could see things take a significant turn, right? You know, and, you know, the day of the Derek Chauvin trial, you know, the, all the things that unfolded after that, you yeah. know, on yeah. that very day, we couldn't even celebrate um, those guilty verdicts. And so, you know, my wind down is just, I have been posting a lot of content on my social media, just about mental wellness, just trying yeah. to encourage people and just trying to, you know, say to each other, we really need to check in on each other because even, even though, you know, and the thing I posted, uh, I think today or yesterday was about how many of us can function really well mm -hmm. when we're struggling mentally, right? right? Right. We can show, it doesn't mean you're okay because you show up and you do a great job mm -hmm. and you, you push through. It doesn't mean that you aren't struggling um, mentally, whether it be with anxiety, depression, or a host of other um, yeah. mental health um, situations. So girl, it was a, it was a rough week for me that combined with everything else that was going on in the news. I mean, I had to call my therapist because it, I, I, I know her so well, do you know what I mean? Yeah. And I know her brilliance and just to see that unfold, it was just, it, it was heartbreaking. Yeah. Um, so I just, you know, it's just, you know, and I had to lean into my own yeah. wellness in a big way. Um, I almost had to take some days off from doing my TV show. Just well, I mean, because. we've been off for what have we been off because of that? That exact very reason. Well, right. Well, we haven't been here to the trial. Yeah. So yeah, that's my wind down, girl. It yeah. is just it's been a it's been a a, a rough week, a rough few weeks because this is our like you said our first time back um, since you started covering the trial. But girl, we just gotta you know take care of ourselves, particularly black people, because it amazes me. And it bothers me if I if I have to be quite honest to see um, how people that are not black right can just go on. Whereas last year they were putting up you know black squares on this and that, leaning in. How can I help? What can I do? There's none of that this time. There's some. There's, of, I mean, there's a not not. I not don't want to say absolutely not in the way that it was. That it was before. before. Yeah. Before there were PSAs. Yeah. There were commercials. Companies were doing this. There was this announcement, that announcement. Yeah. But what ha what I suspected would happen happened. It all died mm -hmm. down. Right. Where's the significant change? Right. There's there little little things that are changing, but where's the significant change? You know, there still continues to be headlines every day. Yeah. You know what I mean? If someone's, you know, not dying, someone's dealing with, you know, some type of issue at work in their workplace or some official, you know, in Hollywood is saying something crazy or somebody, you know, some politician is saying something offensive right. towards black people. It's, it's, it's continuous. It's continuous. I mean, and, and it's stressful. It's stressful. And it, and it does feel like it's continuous. And, you know, I was asking a, a, a police friend who's just recently retired, it, it feels like there's like a war on black people right now. Like yeah. the police, you know, when, when, when I first started covering black lives matter cases back in 2012, when it was Trayvon and it was not just police, it was just anybody, you know, in the case of Trayvon, there was a sense of when, when it, then it moved on from George Zimmerman to actual cops killing people. And you started to have in 2014, you know, the Tamir Rice's and the Michael Brown's, et cetera. And the Freddie Gray's, for a while, there was actually a reduction in police violence for a while. The, the number of shootings went down. Police seemed like they were more reticent to use force because the the, the spotlight was on them. Mm -hmm. Now, it really does feel like it's accelerating, like the amount of force, the frequency of using force, and just the brazenness of what police are doing seems like it's getting worse. Like, mm -hmm. it's like police have an, an almost warlike attitude, like it's us against them and we're just going to do what we're going to do. And we don't care if you're watching. I mean, Derek Chauvin, probably the most chilling thing I've seen in new, in my career in news, one of the most chilling is her, his face while yeah, he's killing day. George Floyd. And he literally had, was um, emotionless. Even when 
during his trial, that emotionless, just blank look on his face. And then we find out after the trial how many other people, he's killed two other people, he's had two other shootings. He kneels on a 14-year-old for 17 minutes um, and that never came up in the trial. We found out all of his violent record after he was convicted. And then you're right, we didn't even get to have a breath to say, okay, he's going to you know, prison and even find out how much time he got. Then, then you had the Andre, um, the Andrew Brown case, and then you, and you had, um, you know, D- uh, Dante Wright, and then now you had Micaiah, you had Micaiah Wright. Um, you, you just keep going on and on. It's like it you just keep goes, all the names in your head. It goes, it's too many. But you know what? You know how you're just saying that there seems to be an uptick in it, right? Now it just seems to be more and more right and now. I don't know that that's true. That no, no, no. I, like I'm, I'm saying it seems like it. I, yeah. I get you because we're it's it's more in that like there's more video coming for. We're seeing yeah. more things, but. I, my biggest fear, um, are all, is that this is just, it's been steady like this forever. How many of these cases were swept under the rug? How oh, many instances wow. where there were, there were no body cams or the right. body cams were turned People are off. more vigilant. People right. Are or, or, or nobody was there. Um, yeah. like the brave young woman in the George Floyd situation who recorded the, you know, like there's no one there to witness it. I mean, think about, what what about the case about the guy? I can't remember where it was, but I I know you'll probably, it'll pop into your mind. The brother who the police were given, police officer was given a ride home and he ended up shooting him 10 times. And then he came back and shot him. I mean, we we just found out that the Ahmaud Arbery case, they're going to charge those guys with civil rights violations, but the justice is very slow. And if you just go through the number of Black Lives Matter cases, just the we've covered on, on my show it's like do, it's like a dozen or more yeah. people. it's it's stacking on top of yeah. stacking you know Reverend Sharpton is going from funeral to funeral to funeral you know he's funeral you know we're we're, we're looking at the Micaiah uh, Bryant funerals coming up the Dante Wright funeral just happened you've got Andrew Brown's funeral I believe is going to be in a couple of days they're just it's too they're stacking and I think to you, you make a really good point Jackie the kind of apathy that's setting in among non-Black people is similar to the apathy that you see on mass shootings, where everybody's shocked yes. when they kill 26 little kids in exactly Connecticut, that. and then all of a sudden they forget about it. Then Parkland happened, and everybody freaks out, and then Charlottesville happens, everybody freaks I mean, the, you know, the, the uh, Charleston happens, everybody freaks out, but then people just start to, it becomes numb, and our, but we can't become numb. We don't, we're the ones who don't become numb, because every person who dies looks like our brother, son, father, daughter, sister cousin they look just like our family so we can't become numb so like you said we're just actively dealing with the stress yeah and even and honestly even with covid i am beaten down by the idea of five hundred and sixty thousand people dying because i also know that's also disproportionately us right right it's easy for people to write off that many i i'm shocked at how many people don't give a damn that 560,000 people died. and just they blow right past it and they don't care they mock people who want to still be safe I'm like, do you understand what 560,000 people did? You don't feel anything. And I know that's disproportionately people who look like you and me, you know, black and brown people were dying at numbers that we're used to seeing in stories about the quote unquote third world, which we shouldn't even feel that way and say that that kind of death, 15,000 people died of um, Ebola, you know, and that was shocking to me. A lot of people in America didn't give a damn, but I was like, 15,000 Africans dying of COVID was shocking to me. Listen, but it wasn't shocking to them. But now scores more than that have died of Americans. And uh, Americans are like, yeah. Let me tell you, 30, about 30 something people died. I don't remember the exact number in New York City uh, overnight, right? Yeah. That to me, and people are like, uh, you know, while it is a much lower number than the numbers that we've had in the past, that's still a lot of people. It's a lot of people. That's a lot of people. That, you and I'm like, I'm just car. glad that, that's a that, whole subway car. Come okay, on. Think about that's the whole contents of come the A train car dead. And people are like, yeah, you know, it's better news. It's like, no, it's not. It's, it's not. not. Because I mean, imagine if if you or someone you loved or knew was among that 30 plus. And then, and this is the other thing about you know what bothers me about the rest of America just kind of sweeping this under the rug and moving on because you don't have the same compassion. You just don't, um, you know, it, it, that you did after the George Floyd death. And that was because of what they saw in that video, what they yeah. saw of Derek Chauvin, right? Now, you know, what they're seeing is what they saw before, yeah. you know, somebody's, you know, uh, you know, being non-compliant or whatever, or or however they want to deem oh, or, or you know, with a young lady. What, that, 
but 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 my thing is and so we are forced as black people to because they're not asking us how are you doing are you okay that's not being asked anymore it's like what'd you do this weekend how right and so we're forced to either be that person that's like bringing it it up and acknowledging it in a particular space or pretending that we are right like yeah. like it's not on our minds right or pretending like it's not you know prevalent on our minds and just kind of going with the oh you know bah, 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 bah. did you oh, watch I don't even do that though Jackie. Oh, I mean I don't but a, lot of, but a lot of us do I yeah. don't but a lot of us do yeah a lot of us feel you know that you don't want to be that person that's bringing it up again yeah. I mean I I am definitely that person that brings it up but a lot of us don't right and burying that you know eating Never. that right. is unhealthy as well well I got before we bring our guests in I will give one positive note I will do one positive note uh the family and I just our bubble we went out for the first time in a year where'd y'all go for we ate outdoors um in baltimore um over by the by the harbor for the daughter's birthday and um it was you know we all just were in our little bubble we were outdoors and we were far from anybody else so i felt a little safe i was a little nervous though but we did it so that was our one one small step for read kind <laughs> i love that yes family yeah i love that and did you I, feel comfortable i mean i know you were in your bubble but you know yeah. Well, it was it only feel- our bubble, so it's fine. You know, it was the people who were already in the house with us. And like I said, we if, that wouldn't have been a happening indoors. Uh, outdoors was the only way that I was willing to do that. Um, and, you know, it's getting better. I see more and more people walking around maskless. And I know, you know, I got I got beat up by little Tuckums. Little Tuckums got mad at me. Uh, <laughs> little Tuckums from Fox News. He gets all mad. Little Tuckums. Oh, little Tuckums. He gets so triggered. Everything I say, little Tuckums. Tuckums. So he got all triggered because I said I still put my mask on when I jog in Central Park. But as you know, Jackie, Central Park is packed. You're talking about it's thick with people. And I don't want them people breathing all, breathing all in my face. I'm not taking your backdraft. You sweating and breathing Girl. and heavy breathing and all your sweats flying backwards on me when I'm, I'm jogging. Doing you better it. believe I have a mask on when I'm jogging in Central Park. I'm here in my area, in my home area. I won't. Y'all jog without a mask. But in Central Park, you know how many people are out there jogging? How much Listen. sweat is flying? I'm, I'm I'm following the WWFD. What will Fauci do? Hey. He is not. He hey. is not in big crowds outdoors. He's still hey. not doing things indoors. Hey. He's not getting on planes. Hey. I'm not doing it if he's not doing it. WWFD. What will Fauci do? Same here, sister. I don't care what anybody said. Little Tuckums, you can just deal with your own life, little Tuckums. I know you're so sad because I called your. I, I called the the male male Karens are now called a Tucker officially so all y'all who listen to the listen to read this read that if you see a male Karen you just call that a Tucker because Tucker tuck. is all acting all like he's supposed to tell people what to do the Tucker oh girl he's so cool. little tuck. all right well we have we're gonna take a little break and we have a great guest coming up next a, a friend of mine we go way back um and now he has one of the hottest shows on tv we'll be right back So, Joanne, joining us is a good friend of mine who has been busy just making a name for himself in Hollywood in a great way. He has one of the hottest shows um, on television right now, uh, Godfather of Harlem. I'm talking none other than the creator of that show, Mr. Marquand Smith. Hi, Marquand. Hey, Jackie. Hey, Joanne. How are you doing? Good. Thank you. Good. Good. Uh, So you guys are, are in full swing in season two. Um, everybody is loving this show. Season one was a huge success. You got such big stars, but I just, you know, I want people to know a little bit about the backstory before we talk about the show, because Marquan, this took you almost 18, almost, 20 years to make, right? Yeah, absolutely. I think this year would have made 21 years if it didn't get picked up, if it didn't get picked up. Wow. Wow. Yeah. What kept you, what kept you going? What made you say, you know what? You know what kept me going? I mean, uh, I, I used to go to Lennox Terrace every Sunday and there was a, uh, a lady by the name of Margaret Johnson who's my godmother uh-huh. and I used to bring her her favorite sandwich which was beef tongue and we would sit every Sunday and she used to tell me these magical stories of Harlem and she would tell me how she used to walk outside a tenement and smell fresh laundry hanging out the window or walk past 125th street you look up you see James Brown's name on the marquee 
Or even, you know, walk by uh, Sugar Ray Robinson's barbershop, you poke your head, you may see Jackie Wilson or Nat King Cole in the barber wow. chair. So these stories I used to be, get, I used to get so mesmerized by this every Sunday. And she also told me about her grandfather, who in the, if you're watching the series, is really her grandfather, not her father. And his name was uh, Raymond, Ellsworth Raymond Johnson, and he was from Charleston, South Carolina. And his story was that he migrated from the South, not to become a gangster, but he actually came to New York City to become an attorney, similar to what Malcolm X wanted to do. And uh, the bursar office told him at City College, like, we don't give uh, financial aid to colored folks. Mm. So he said, you know what, I'm going to make you eat your words, and he turned to a life of crime. And the story was just so amazing. It wasn't just about him being a gangster, it was about he read Shakespeare, he read Nietzsche, he ate, even it was a, an urban legend that he beat Bobby Fischer in chess. When he did his time at Alcatraz, the warden said he had the highest IQ he ever saw for a colored person. So I made her a promise that I would go out there and get the real story of who her, her father was, her bloodline, you know, not the story that you saw in Hoodlum or the Cotton Club or American Gangster, but who he was as a person. And I made her a promise back in 2000, almost 20 years ago, I mean, about 20 years ago, that I would make that happen. Yeah. And her grandfather, you know, father, who she grew up thinking he yeah. was her, her father, actually her grandfather, Bumpy Johnson, yeah. right? Yeah. Who, mm-hmm. uh, just for people who may not know the, you know, the, the government name. <laughs> yeah. It's Ellsworth Raymond Johnson from Charleston, South Carolina, born October 31st, 1905. Yeah. Wow. But this thing, Marquand, you know, I've, I've known you forever and I'm just so excited for the success of this show, um, you know, starring Forrest Whitaker, who really um, believed in, in, in you and in this project far before you got it greenlit. Right. Because you got told no. What about like how many how many networks turn this down? I mean, we, you know, when, when people are going out to sell TV series, there's but so many places that you can go. And um one of the things that we had that wasn't positive for us that it was it was a period piece. Mm. And next it was African American, which is kind of like period African American, why not? But there's an urban legend that says African American content doesn't do well overseas, international, which we which we proved wrong with our show. But so we got turned down by three networks. You know, I was told it was a noble failure, and I didn't know what a noble failure meant. You know, I couldn't fail. This was, I didn't have a plan B. I only had a plan A. And many nights sitting up with Forrest and him assuring me that, that he's going to, he's going to, uh, ah, man, he's going to quarterback this with me all the way till we get a touchdown. And, um, you know, Epics, uh, uh, the president, Michael Wright, he believed in this project. He said, this story needs to be told. I don't want to be coy about this. It's not about the money. Let's get, let's, let's make this happen. Let's, Let's tell the world about this project. And, you know, uh, Epic's picked it up. Hey, can, I, can I ask you a question about just that process? Because, you know, one of the things about Hollywood is that it it comes across as woke kind of on paper. They're very black squares. But yeah. then when you see the awards shows and you start to look into the writers' rooms and you look at the executive makeup, it's a little less woke seeming. So can Absolutely. you talk about the process of putting together a writers' room, um, of ensuring that there's diversity, you know, because obviously you and Forrest Whitaker bring diversity that is very top of the tier. But, you know, what's been the process of trying to have that diversity fizzle down, especially the writer's room is a tough place to break into. Yeah. Well, you know, being the fact that, you know, myself and Forrest, we were EPs, you know, we brought in uh, writers such as Chris Brancato, he's Italian, and uh, he created the TV series Narcos. And Jim Atchison, who's my partner, and uh, Nina Yang Bon Jovi, who's who's Asian and she believes in diverse content. So we didn't really have a problem creating a writer's room because we we all knew that this room has to be diverse with different voices. You know, I can't say that about other writer's rooms in Hollywood because what you're saying, Joanne, is correct because you, you got to make them woke, you know? <laughs> so I, I basically made sure that the narrative was told and I brought in Professor James Small. Now, if you know about Professor James Small, he's an African-American historian he has these, this wonderful knowledge of uh, the 60s. He also has this content called Hidden Colors on YouTube. But he happened to be around when Malcolm X, the same time that Malcolm X got assassinated, he became Malcolm X's sister's bodyguard. So his voice was all in the writer's room, along with me doing tons of research in the Schomburg Museum. 
Wow. And I, I love, um, I, I've learned so much from watching this. Like I didn't know that Bumpy Johnson and Malcolm X had this type of friendship. And I just wanted to ask you how much of that is based on what we see in this series is based on what your godmother told you and how much is, uh, you know, how much creativity did you have with your talent as a writer and a creative? Well, to be honest with you, as, as, one of the creators in the initiation of the process, you have to always remember that Malcolm X was called Detroit Red and Malcolm Little, and he was a junkie and he was a pimp at the time. And this is before even speaking to Margaret. You know, there were stories out there. I've done a ton of interviews with um, a lot of the older OGs who sat down and said, yeah, Malcolm used to frequent the Savoy or Malcolm used to be at the Flash Inn or we used to see Malcolm at 22 West. This is before Malcolm was Malcolm X. But then, my godmother used to tell me these stories of how Malcolm X used to come up every Sunday and play chess with Bumpy. And you have to also remember that when Malcolm passed away, and this is real, uh, Bumpy played, Bumpy actually played, uh, paid for his funeral. He actually went to every vendor in Harlem to make sure that his funeral was taken care of. Wow. So it's a little bit of embellishment, you know, but we, we, we are trying to tell which I call edutainment, entertaining, but still educational at times. And we have a big disclaimer in the beginning of the show that says yeah. this is not a documentary. It's right. based on true events. And what's been the reaction of some of those OGs to uh, to the show? This year? Well, uh, some of them may still be around. I mean, some of them are, you know, you know why? Because to, to have known Bumpy, even if you're in your 90s right now, you were still a young boy at that time. But from the, from... What I'm getting it from the street is that we did really a, a great job to nail what we could, you know, as being, if I wish I was a fly in the wall, you know, I'm the youngest EP out of everybody, you know, but um, I tried to make it as accurate from the lingo, doing research, Googling, you know, certain things that people did in the 60s to, and a lot of it is history too. You know, history repeats itself. So if you're looking at our show, for example, the Harlem Riot, James Powell, that's how George Floyd, right? Yeah. Muhammad Ali, that's like Colin Kaepernick. So it's like history, like it's really kind of like repeating itself right now with our show. What was, oh, go ahead, go ahead. No, no, I, was, I have one more question that, uh, is, is about because I'm, I'm fascinated with sort of old time fashion and clothes. Like how, how did okay. you guys go into reimagining the look, uh, the way that the characters dress? Well, we had a great costume designer. Uh, her name is uh, Sarah Lux for the uh, second season. And you know what I liked about her, and we had a, a for season one of uh, our, our costume designer, costume designer, his name was Josh. They wanted the clothes to actually tell the story. As an actor, you know, they looked at the clothes as acting, as being part of your character. So it's not just, hey, we think this uh, will look good in you or this will look good in you. We want the clothes to tell the story. So I saw a lot of uh, printouts from old Jet magazines and Ebony magazines and things of that sort. They would ask me about, you know, a lot of the, the, the material were like uh, alpaca and, and faux fur and uh, cashmere and tweeds. And uh, if you look at my character, I wear a lot of suede. So they really gave us a lot of input with our character about what we wanted to, what we wanted our character to look like. You know, we've seen um, uh, Bumpy Johnson come to life in other projects. Right. Yeah. Um, Lawrence Fishburne probably is, is, is someone who comes to mind for a lot of people and his portrayal of him. For folks who haven't seen this, Marquand, tell us what we'll get from this story of Bumpy Johnson that's different from what we've seen in her. And before. that's a great question because um, my showrunner, Chris Brancato and Paul Epstein, they actually did the original movie Hoodlum. Mm. So the stars align. It's like two generations meeting. Like Bumpy put Paul's grandmother through secretarial college and then Bumpy's granddaughter is my godmother. Like who would have thought the stars would align? And they did the first movie, Hoodlum, with Bill Duke and Lawrence Fishburne. But if you watch Hoodlum, Hoodlum was the Harlem Renaissance. This is post, after the 60s, when Bumpy comes home from jail in 1963 and he's dealing with one of the craziest times in America. I mean, Emmett Till, Emmett Till just got brutally executed a few years ago, you know? and um, so we're not showing the Harlem Renaissance. We're not showing the flappers and the Cotton Club and all the other stuff and Prohibition. We're showing what, what America was dealing with at the time, the birth of the Beatles, you know, how music changed. Uh, the Black and I'm Proud movement is happening. The LGBTQ movement is happening. The 
the Black Lives Matter movements are happening. So that's the way we, we started it. We didn't want to go back in time to something that you saw before. Yeah. And this thing is, is a hit. It is so well written. The cast, I mean, you all did an amazing job with, with casting it. It really, really is a great show. But I have to ask you this, um, you know, as a creative, you know, how do you, how do you manage dealing with portraying Black pain, right? We, you know, Lena Waithe just really took a hit on her new series, Them, right? Because people were like, you know, I don't, I don't want to see black pain, and and there are a lot of people who have been. It's it's a debate within the black community yep. as a black man. Yeah. Um. How do you measure, you know, how you write that into this content? You know what it is. Being the fact that we have a a writers room that's very open minded, you know, as a non writing EP, and with Chris and Paul and uh, Michael Payne's, they all look towards me as a black man, a younger black man coming up in America right now, you know, from what we're seeing out there. And I get to put a lot of input into it. So it's not about, we, we, we don't have a dictatorship in the writer's room. Like if we're writing this, it's going to be this. If we're writing this, it's going to be that. And then if I have an issue with it, I bring in Professor Small and he's the OG. He's like 81 years old, I believe. And he comes in and he says, you know what? The story needs to be told this way. So we get a lot of I get I, I get a lot of opportunity to be in the room and to tell my thoughts. So, you know, they listen to me a lot of the times. And I just I, I go from my experience as a black man in America right now. I love that. Well, I got to embarrass you a little bit. And Joanne will appreciate this because she's a hip hop head. Marquan is a hip hop head. Actually, he got his start in entertainment, Joanne. And I bet you don't know this. His brother, Father MC. What? <laughs> <laughs> You oh, know, for real? <laughs> oh, snap. He knows hip-hop. Oh, yeah, you make me blush. <laughs> oh, my God. You may not know him, but she knows. She is, Marquand, like, a serious hip-hop wow. kid. Like, that's dope. Huh. Yeah. Did you watch the Red and Meth? No, no, I'm going to go into a whole thing, but did you watch the, the Red and Meth versus? Huh? Uh, uh, of course huh? I have to. I mean, Swiss Beats, Swiss Beats is the executive music producer on The Godfather of Harlem, so I support anything nice. that he does. You know, and Red and Meth, you know, I know all the people. We all were on the road together. As uh, Jackie can tell you, I was a roadie with my brother. I started off in 1990, and I was on the road with Tupac. Tupac was one of my good friends. I mean, wow. rest in peace, Tupac G. Uh, Tupac was a roadie for Digital Underground. Tretch was a roadie for Latifah. And we, wow. all had that, we all had that camaraderie in the road. We were all young kids with dreams. Yeah, that's amazing. I, yeah. I know, I know. He has such an amazing story. I mean, Marquand, there, you know, and I'm not just saying this because I'm your friend, there's a story, your story, right, that just has to be written and has to be told in some form or fashion. Are you thinking about doing that? Yes, ab absolutely. I, I, I'm trying to entertain publishers like Random House or Simon, Sch Simon and Schuster to really tell my story. You know what? There's a book that I read uh, growing up in the juvenile system when I was just a bad black kid running around <laughs> not trying to figure it out it was called um man child in the promised land by claude brown and that book was uh -huh. so inspiring I tell people to read that book it really shows that you can be somebody in life no matter where you go and claude brown was a junkie and became a pulitzer, pulitzer prize winning journalist i mean it's amazing so yeah i would love to be able to tell my stories and tell kids out there never give up on your dream i always tell people you can chase your pension or chase your passion. It's up mm. to you. There's no mm. bunk that there's no bunk beds in the graveyard. When you leave, you're leaving by yourself. So while you're here, if opportunity, you knock an opportunity door and it doesn't open, go to Home Depot, buy some lumber, build your own door, and create your own opportunity. Absolutely. <laughs> I love that. I love that. And you know what, Joanne? Marquan is this close to becoming a vegan. You know, because Forrest Whitaker is that last time I saw Marquand, he was at one of my favorite vegan restaurants. <laughs> we were sitting right next to each other. I said, he's that close, right, Marquand? Thank you, recruit. I'm stuttering. He's still on my team, girl. Don't even try still, it. I think I'm still stuttering, man, because Thanksgiving is coming up. You know? All right. <laughs> What? Come on, man. Like, Come I, don't on. Want, I don't want a tofu turkey. I would there like you go. Like, <laughs> tell them. Tell her. Yeah, tell, I, want tell deep, I, want, I want a deep fried turkey. No. 
You get no. You can, don't say that, Marquand. She's gonna tell you a turkey can hug you. Don't send her. Yeah, he can. Don't get me started. Don't get me started. <laughs> you just say you can make you can make lasagna out of cabbage, right? <laughs> listen, listen, zucchini at least. Yes, it can hug you. Options. Zucchini can hug you too. You know. Don't be food limited or food illiterate. There's Jay, okay. you know you know what they you know what they say about a turkey, right? What's that? You don't like they want to be treated. <laughs> they want to eat them. That. <laughs> my I had to get that in. <laughs> no, that's the, it's so exciting when someone knows my brother's music because to me, yeah. I think he's one of those untold stories. I mean, he gave uh, Mary J. Blige a platform for I'll Do For You, Jody C a platform for Treatum. Even intro was on our records, and you know that was the heyday when music was fun and you could dance. Yeah, no people weren't just on, on the wall looking at no, you. No, like, that was that club era. That, that, that's you know? my era now. Come on, don't get me yeah. started. They were that's dancing the, hard. That's the red light special. That's right. <laughs> yes, that's what I'm talking about. <laughs> when the club was fun. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Throwing your two step. Your 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 um your cross color jeans, your blue jeans. Put on that fubu. You got that fubu on. He was in there dancing yeah. like this. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. I gotta do all this right here with the serious I face. Know. You doing the cabbage cut? I'm going to work out. Right, you. Take me back. <laughs> well, Marquand, listen, we are so excited for your success, my friend. Thank you. Thank you for coming by the podcast and you got to come back. You got to come back. I would love to. It's it's always amazing to talk to two beautiful Black queens, two very intelligent Black queens. And I love what you guys are doing, Jackie and Joy. And thank you for having me. Thank you. You are now officially a cousin. Welcome to the family. See? Thank you. <laughs> thank you, cousin Pete. Thank you, cousin Pete. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that brings us to the end of another episode of Read This, Read That. Gotta ask you, Joanne, now that you've gotten out and about within your bubble, yeah. what are you going to do for you this weekend? So this weekend, I have loaded for Becky. I finally got myself my little hybrid uh, truck. We yes. in Byron. God bless Byron. Thank you for all your great service to our family. But the new car is named Gandalf the Gray. We're just going to call him Gandalf for short because he's gray. <laughs> So Gandalf, we're going to take him for a little spin this weekend, I believe. Um, and we may be getting another new family member in the family. We're going to go and visit our, our potential new puppy. What? I hope it's at a shelter. Of course. No, we don't believe in going to the puppy farms and those. you got to adopt yes. adoptable babies. Um, oh, good. So. And here's the funny thing about it is, Jack, this is, a, this is a very Jackie Reed-ish story. I tried to surprise your friend, Jason Reed, as a present because his birthday is coming up. So uh -huh. I was going to surprise him with the puppy for his birthday. Mm. But of course, I emailed the lady from the shelter from the account that he has access to. And I didn't think he ever checked his email account. Girl, he checked it and he texted me while I was, in, I was out of town and he texted me, are we getting a puppy? And I texted back... <laughs> No, but I put three dots after it because I was trying to think of what my next line was going to be. So I quickly texted the kids to be like, what do I say? What do I say? What's my excuse? But the dot, dot, dots pretty much gave it away. He was like, that knew I was lying. So I came back with the story that I was getting it from my auntie. And then I did, but then he just literally, the emails would come in. I would delete them as soon as they would come in. So hopefully you wouldn't see them, but he done figured it out already. So that may not be his actual present, but we are looking into it. The dog, the puppy is so cute. Um, it's a mixed shepherd boxer, but yeah, we always go shelter. We don't go, um, I, I don't believe in the whole puppy farm thing. I think it's so kind of sickening. Isn't it, it is. It's, it's a very horrible, puppy. horrible, horrible thing. The puppy mills. And, and there's so many puppies that need adopting. And so we miss Turbo in the family very yeah. much. Um, it's been a while. It's been almost a year. We lost little Turbo. But how's Isis? How's Isis feel about this new? No, Isis is so Isis. It needs a friend because Isis is such a tormented little monster right now. The the cat is super needy. The cat <laughs> is trying to get on all the furniture, kind of cuddle up every minute. The cat is crying, whining for attention, Aww. busting in my office. I don't know if you can see Isis. You can't really see him in the background. But Isis has decided that he lives in my office. Good. And he won't leave. I can't get him to leave. He is a needy little monster oh, I now. There, he's a black you cat. You see, that's the that's the cat lying there. He he. If I don't open the door, he literally jumps up and busts open the door 
and comes in here and lays in here all day to get sun. He's so lonely that I feel Aww. like he needs the puppy almost more than the adults do. Yes. He needs a friend that. because he needs something small that he can interact with. Yeah. Um, he is so just weird ever since uh, Turbo's been gone. So Aww. the puppy's kind of almost for him. Oh, <laughs> it's I like love Pluto that. and Goofy. You know, how one was a dog and the other one was a dog, but one of them was the, was the other's dog. <laughs> puppy's probably going to be his right. dog. <laughs> That's so true. <laughs> What are you going to do for you, Miss Jackie? Oh, my gosh. I'm gearing up to go to Atlanta for a month. Um, I know. I'm getting I'm getting all packed up. Now, um, are you and, flying or driving? Girl. Okay. Because I was going to say, I know you're not getting on a plane. I ain't getting on nobody's plane. I am driving, Good. girl. We load, we load like the Beverly Hillbillies. <laughs> we load with the animals and everything. Everything, put the animals okay. yeah. driving, driving through, girl. I might, I might have to roll through and, come and stop. stop. Come and stop. Girl, listen, I ain't mad at you. That is the only way to, I mean, the, the thought of getting on a plane. I'm not doing it. Girl, I'm not no. doing And now they're giving up their, um. Delta was the Delta. last one for not selling middle seats. And now imagine if you already booked your oh. ticket thinking the middle seat was going to be open. They're starting this Saturday. Yes, and they're putting the middle seat back in. And I was praising Delta Airlines for doing the right thing. Mm-hmm. Now they're going to give up that middle seat? No, ma'am. CDC guidelines, which is against what the CDC is saying. But see, this is what I'm they talking about. All this stuff is too soon. People are just taking... Girl, people are getting the second shot and then getting on planes and going places. Second shot. People are getting one shot. There's all this new epidemic of people who are just getting one shot, never going back for their second shot and rolling right on through their life. Girl, We are at a problem in this country where people are... I think almost 50% of Americans have gotten at least one shot, but only 26% of Americans have gotten two shots. People are not showing up. Johnson & Johnson, by the way, is not unsafe, but people are refusing to get it. People are not showing up for their appointments. Sorry, but we are in trouble again because we're they. Uh, what I'm hearing is that the spring and summer will be fine. But when, when fall hits, if we don't get that vaccination rate up, we're going to get hit again. Europe is getting devastated. Look at again. India. Look India. at India, who really was doing well. They with, make the vaccines in India. Yeah. They make the vaccines in India. And they are dying. They just had 400,000 more people get it in India. They are literally building crematoriums in the street. Girl, I saw, bodies. I saw this heart breaking video of two men on a motorbike yes a dead woman in between them it was their I mom one of their mothers I don't their, know both of their mom it's the two brothers had yeah. their mom trying to take Jesus. her from the hospital yeah um home because she couldn't get what she needed at the hospital Die. and she was dying girl they, yeah they, they girl, had their dead mother girl. But that's what I'm talking about. All this despair. Like, girl, I have to, I don't know how you do it. I have to go days without watching the news because it's just so heavy to me. It's heavy. And I just, I can't take it. No, and that's what, I, and, and it's funny because that's why when we were talking about it earlier, I'm saying, if people ask me how you do it, I'm very honest because the reality mm-hmm. is I'm spending all day thinking about this, talking about this, about death, death, and death, either viral death, disease death, or violent death by police. Or, or massacres. You know, we've had also about half a dozen massacres since the George Girl, Floyd case. I mean, come on. It's out of control. Out of This country is out of control. And everyone's, people are acting like spring is sprung. Oh, and, the, and they're out there and chilling. The racism, the good and the bad of, of, of slavery. Did you hear that? I don't know what state you know, that was you in. You got to talk about the good and the bad. Good and what? the bad. That story you posted with those white people reenacting con- the Confederacy, yes. talking about that it was it, it, their lies that fl- that slaves were beaten. Those were just yes. few and far it between. Treated them great like family, right? I was like, like Big Mama, like at, Big their Mama church. at church. I wanted to. I had to throw my phone across. You know what room. I wanted to do is I wanted to go find Big Mama and be like, baby. Then people don't like you. You better get the hell out of that church quick. Girl, Anything go missing. They're coming for you, Big Mama. I, I mean, know. give me a break. First of all, I don't even believe Big Mama's real. But even if she's real, somebody go get her because she needs help. She needs to be rescued away from these people. Girl. They're talking about my, you know, I got history and family. And they would have, they would have never mistreated. If, if you think you own somebody. I, let's start with you've that. You've already started with the fact that you think you own them. Thank you. And so you're talking about, there is no way you treat them other than as property. If you think human beings are like a cow. I don't care how nice you are to a cow. It sleeps outside. You don't. You don't bring it in the house. And then you, you don't. And then you kill it. And then you kill it and eat it. <laughs> and what they did with slaves is they beat them, raped them. The the if you want to tell me that people weren't raping slaves, then why are there light skinned people? They wouldn't exist. Come on. 
Come on. They wouldn't and exist. Why do white raping black slaves like it was nothing? They were the, the the brutality. And think about the fact of if you have 300 slaves and it's four of y'all, how do you keep 300 people from killing every single last one of you? Because you know they wanna. You know they wanna. You have to force how do you keep them, them from doing that. You have that? to force brutality. them into submission. But this is what's scary: that those people in that story that you posted. They believe that. They believe it. Like they believe it. They think slavery and they want it taught in school that way. The New yeah. War Against the 1619 Project from Mitch McConnell, Tom Cotton on down. They want, and that is the way slavery has always been taught. Yeah. Until if you don't have a good teacher, like I had Mr. Duguay in uh, ju junior high school and high school, and I had great teachers. But if you don't have good teachers, you don't even know the um what the Black Wall Street massacre happened. Most Americans don't know anything about slavery. No. They don't know anything about the brutality. They think the we, slaves were in the field singing. We don't know what happened to Native Americans in this country. No idea. America Thanksgiving happened. Yeah, they were all friends. Ninety percent of us were killed. Yeah. Let's go back. Nine out of ten indigenous people were killed. Nine you have to learn that on your own. You are not taught that in school. school. You think the, the Native Americans? Ninety percent of them are gone. They wiped ninety percent of the indigenous population, not just out of the Americas, but out of the Caribbean and South America. So across the whole North and South America wow. and the Caribbean, they wiped out ninety percent of them between disease and violence. But we don't Stole learn about that. We don't, it's not taught in school. These Republicans and conservatives, they just want to focus on an altered yes. history of America. What about so America can always be seen as the greatest country in the world right. without dealing with its evil past. And well, I remember- it was white Americans who invented the idea of a superhero. This was an invention of the United States in the 1940s, where they invented things like Superman and Captain America. They invented that concept to reimagine America as great. These were all ways of saying America, the sort of greatness of America. The truth of America is savage. Rick Santorum this week talking, oh, about, talking about the Native people didn't contribute anything to society. They didn't contribute anything at all. First of all, and then he's praising the pilgrims. Do you understand the pilgrims believed that witches were real and they burned human women, their own women, right. white women, burned them at the stake? And do you know who <laughs> sets the guidelines for what we learn of history, especially in the South? The Daughters of the Confederacy. The Daughters of they the have the approval of textbooks. Yes. I mean, it's 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 sick. They rewrite everything. The Civil War was not about slavery. Well, what was it about, baby? All Girl. of their declarations of That's war against the United States said it was about slavery. But that's they said why people believe, that's why people believe what they believe. That's why white people believe what they believe that it wasn't that bad. And that's why they lack empathy yes. for black yes. people when things like this happen because they don't have the proper context. They don't, know the context. They don't have the context. They think that we're post-racial, a lot right. of them, even liberals. They think, how could a black man be elected president to this country and, and it's not racist? And then you've got crazy black Republican senators Ooh. getting up there saying that it's not, girl, I, if y'all don't do something with him. I can't, girl, I, I, listen. I, he, is, he is either a fool or a liar. Ooh. I don't know which one. Jesus on my mind. Jesus. <laughs> Said it's like, ah! shut up in my bones. <laughs> Holy Ghost gets to moving. Did it just want to leave you alone? Something about the name Jesus. That's what all I could do. Girl, I got to get my church fed. Thank <laughs> Jesus. It is the sweetest thing I know. <laughs> that's all I can do is call his name. Mm. Mm -hmm. That's all I can do is call on his name. But that's I, I what I'm saying. It just seems impossible I, that we're going to get to the other side of I, this or see significant change in our lifetime. Girl, let's go get us some property uh, in Ghana. Not just with the conservatives, but with all white people. It's, we, we, got, we have work to do. If people, here's the funny thing about it is, most countries have savage histories. It's not just like we're, it's the only, it's only us. Most countries' histories are absolutely freaking savage. 
But look what Germany did. Look at and they know it. They you they go know talk it. to Germans, they, they know that shit is savage. They apologize for it. They they, they have they have tried, you they know, know they have tried embarrassed. China's history, Japan's history. The Turks, we just found out, you know, we just did the Turk. We just, you know, the Armenian genocide, pure genocide, you know, leaving people dead in the street. All kind. listen, America, get over it. We're not the only country with a savage ass history, but let's just be clear. We have a savage ass history. Uh-huh. Deal with it. We're not the only ones, but our history is straight savage, period. The rest of the world knows it. The rest the of the world knows it, honey. We're it's- not hiding nothing. We are not fooling nobody. Nobody. It's- I mean, nine, you kill off 90% of indigenous people. You drag 10 million black people out of Africa as enslaved people. And about what? Two thirds of them died on the way here. Right. <laughs> they were, they were treated well when they were here. Do you know how many, how many of us died during the Middle Passage? Do you know how many, many of us died? It's the Holocaust of people who died. You're talking about you selling a mama versus and a baby, selling them, separating them and selling them separately. You're talking about ripping babies out of their mother's arms and selling them like you're selling the, you know, like a, you're selling like these terrible people sell puppies that they are, they don't understand it. And they think, they, they think, well, that they were treating them nice. How do you treat somebody nice after you stole their and children and sold them? And you're them? enslaving them. You're and saying you own them. Property. You're saying, I own you. Right. you. From there, you have already lost the moral. There is nothing Christian about you at that point. So they want to look, we were just good Christians. Y'all bullshit. <laughs> Calling bullshit on all y'all history. I, I it's, all, it's savage. It's savage. It, it savage. really is. And, and I mean, I think it. what's being taught in schools to all children needs to change immediately. Right. That's, that's why they grow up to be adults who believe this bullshit. That's right. And that's not to say that they were saying all white people were savage. You did have the John Browns who laid down his life to get rid of slavery. You had the Thaddeus Stevens who impeached that son of a bitch, Andrew Johnson, and took him to the floor. He did everything by loss by one vote. You had people who did the right thing. Yeah, but the know? system is what, what we're saying. That slavery. What and also and a whole people. lot of the people because they were for it. If you were for slavery, sorry. You were not moral. No. There's no, you cannot say you were moral. These people were for owning people. And then they turned into Klansmen to try to hunt black people down because they wanted to vote. And again, that's there, there were some white people who were like, hell no, we're not doing it. Ulysses S. Grant doesn't get enough credit. Good man, tried to do the right thing. There were good people in our history. But baby, when I tell you our history was savage, just deal with it. It was savage. It period. just was. And it continues with, you know, with, with, like I said, it's not always the conservatives that you have to be worried about. There are a lot of liberals who they don't want their kids to go to a, a school that's predominantly black. They don't want to move to a neighborhood or they want black, they don't want black people moving into their neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. You know, when they make decisions about who to hire, what who to let in the Stuyvesant high school. A, you know, was it, who, who to put in a in a in a lead in a television show or a movie. They it, it's the same thing. It's systemic. I mean, girl, mm-hmm. it's systemic. I'm but you know, don't don't tell Tim though. Girl, no, if y'all him. don't get him, somebody needs to come get him. I can't do nothing for him. All you can, I told you, I done already told you what I do. I call on the name of Jesus. Uh, that man, I worry <laughs> for him. Calling on his name. I worry for his mental state. I, I, I just feel like there's nothing that could make me play that role in the world. That's all I'm going to say. I don't if know if he's said, playing a role or if he is just stupid. If he's just, like, if he believes that stuff or is he just... For the sake of connections and and the fortune that could come, the fortunes that could come with that, the benefits that come with that, is he just lying? That's a, he's either a liar or a fool. And I and I don't know. It would be worse if he believes it, or it would be worse if he's just doing it for a political expediency. It's, you're right. It's one or the other. It's either this is politically expedient to play along and play that role, or he really believes it. And if he really believes it, then I feel d- deep, deep pity because. He knows that's not his lived experience. I mean, I, I thought um, uh, um, Michael Harriet, as he always does, made it very succinct. He said, I was followed in the store, but there's no racism. My father was illiterate as a grown man, but there's no racism. Right. I myself have been bullied by police, but there's no racism. He refuted himself. Right. With his, right. his anecdotes about his own life. Well, maybe so he knows that racism is there. So it's like you, you just said it was there. Maybe he'll have an awakening like Stacey Dash did. 
Girl, we got to go. <laughs> and on that note. <laughs> on that note, it's time to go. <laughs> On that note, you guys, thank you for tuning in to read this, read that. Be sure and follow us on social media. Be sure to, <laughs> I know, I knew that would be like, okay, I'm done. <laughs> That'd be that's the final That's how to end the set. That's how to end Stop me, shut me up. <laughs> no, girl, bye. <laughs> follow Jackie Reed on vegansexycool.com and on vegansexycool, the app. Um, all my stuff's easy. It's just Joy Ann Reed. That's where I am. Yeah, watch Joy Ann on MSNBC <laughs> Monday through Friday. Yes, 7 uh, at 7 p.m. And yes, it is not an app yet. It is a website, vegansexycool.com. Follow me on social media at Vegan Sexy Cool. We work and on listen the app. to my podcast, the Vegan Sexy Cool Podcast. Girl, bye. Bye. <laughs>